Alina off Nagy's glove into center field. The Florida Marlins have won the World Series. Spins, throws, he got him! A perfect game for Roy Halladay! 27 up and 27 down! Behind the bag, it gets through Buckner! for the Nationals in the first game in their beautiful new ballpark. Left center field, Grissom on the run. The team of the 90s has its world championship. Hello and welcome to You Gotta Believe, the By The Men NL East podcast. This is a standalone podcast we're doing today. Uh, we last week did a long podcast where we talked about the NL East and I talked about the 2007 to 2011 uh, Philadelphia Phillies. We did the normal podcast on Friday and we decided we were going to talk about the 1969 Mets, but it was going to be its own standalone podcast. So a wee short for you um, if that's going to be something you enjoy. We will decide what to do with the last three teams when we do uh, our favourite eras for the last three teams of the division, but we'll get to that as we get to that. So I'm Jody Jamison, I support the Philadelphia Phillies, but most importantly for this episode... I'm Thomas Ross and I support the New York Mets. And yeah, like I say, we are here to talk about the 1969 Mets. Obviously the Mets uh, started their existence in the early 60s uh, with some absolutely dreadful teams, <laughs> and it took them a real while as a franchise to get going. And then... A, a miracle happened, and uh, 1969 came. The Mets won the first their first World Series, their first of two World Series in their franchise's history. Uh, 1986, I guess, was one of those that the Mets were good enough to win that 1986 uh, World Series. Maybe a few people were caught off guard, but realistically, the Mets were a good team in the mid-80s, so no one should be surprised. But I don't think that was the same thing about the 1969 Mets. So obviously, Thomas, uh, you, despite being a reasonably new baseball fan, you are a little bit of a baseball historian. Um, and definitely, when it comes to the New York Mets, it is your passion. So um, I guess it's—I guess I'll hand the reins over to you and uh, get you to tell us about the 1969 Mets. Right, thanks, uh, Jerry. Um, basically, I'm going to just add a bit of context originally because obviously we're famous initially apart from the 69 uh, team for the 1962 team when we had a, a historically bad 40 and 120 record um, which is still the worst in terms of defeats. I think the closest uh, was the Tigers in about a decade and a half ago or something. I think they lost about 117 games. But um yeah, and but you know we were well supported in those days because it wasn't long after the Dodgers and the Giants up sticks and went west, and so we you know we got some of them fans, and but we were terrible for a few years because we actually um, had the manager Casey Stengel, who was the um, uh, the manager of the probably the greatest Yankee team ever in the in the late 40s, mid 50s, um, and he reportedly said when. Um, he was announced as the new manager of the New York Mets. He said that he was uh, honoured to be the new manager of the New York Knickerbockers. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't know it's true, but it's Casey Stengel. So this is a guy who's got a, a language Stengelese named after him. So, which says an awful lot about how he talks. So, but we were so terrible that um, that Stengel was reported to have said. Um, during one game, can't anyone play this game? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and um, we had one, I can't remember who it was, I really wish I'd looked this up, but there was one great story of one player who was so inept that he um, legged out a triple and I thought, oh, that was absolutely brilliant. And then he got called out because he didn't touch on one of the bases. And then Stengel came out to argue. Um, he said, because uh, he said, oh, he didn't touch first base. And uh, the, the, the mumpire just said to him, sorry to tell, I have to tell you this, Casey, but he missed second as well. But yeah, enough about that. Let's... Uh, but I guess one other thing that is one of the more embarrassing moments in, in Mets history was that in 1966, we had the first overall pick, as we had a few times that decade. And that year, we drafted uh, someone called Steve Chilcott as the number one overall pick. And the number two pick that we decided not to go for was someone called Reggie Jackson. Oh, well. So you can understand how Mets fans are a little bit peeved. Yeah, just, um, just my gym. Yeah, and uh, also not only that, Chilcott, who um, who we picked in that draft, he dislocated his shoulder in 1967, never fully recovered, and he has uh, never played a game in the majors. He retired in the early 70s. God. And actually, sorry, go on. No, 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 I was just I was just stunned hearing more and more about this guy. Yeah, he's, um, he is only one of three number one overall picks to never play in the majors. Um, Mark Appel. One. Are they gone? Mark Appel will be one of them, the Houston guy that ended up at the Phillies. I was about to say, you might know one of them. That's that's the most recent one, yeah. The other is Brian Taylor in 1991 for the Yankees. Okay, yeah. uh, but I guess almost... I mean, we were unfortunate to not. Uh, we were unfortunate on that occasion, but we were very fortunate with another, um, because arguably our greatest ever player, Tom Seaver, um, and he's uh, a street near uh, City Field is being named after him um, for the 50th anniversary. It's about time we did something for him. To be perfectly honest, it's the, we talked about Trout in the last episode about not marketing him, which we haven't done much to honour Tom Seaver, to be honest. But basically, what some people don't know is that he was originally drafted by the Braves. And was he really? was, uh, well, yeah, know. his contract was voided because his college team played two exhibition games. But Seaver didn't play in either. Uh, Seaver then intended to finish the season. But because he had signed the pro contract, the NCAA um, um, ruled him ineligible. And Seaver's dad just complained um, to the commissioner, I think, at the time. Um, about the unfairness of it and everything, and threatened to sue him. And um, and, the, and the commissioner sort of went, okay, he if other teams can match the Braves' offer, then um, and then okay. And the Mets were subsequently awarded in a lottery drawing with three other teams. And I don't want to depress you, Jody, but the Phillies were one of the other two teams. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was three t- and. Um, yeah, so there's Seaver and that, but also, also one guy that people generally stand as uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and certainly in the top ten, is Nolan Ryan. Yep. He was drafted in 1965 in the 12th round. But in, in 69, he wasn't um, one of our sort of starters, really. He was more, he would be an emergency spot starter, and he operated out of the bullpen, really. And uh, we we traded him in the early 70s, um, 
you know, we traded him away for nothing, Seaver away for nothing in the late 70s. So, um, yeah, two two of the worst trades ever have been done by the Mets for our two of the greatest pitchers of all time as well. So, But, yeah, on to the 69 team. We just then... Um, I mean, we started a little slowly um, in that season, um, like we were, I think, 18 and 23 after 41 games, and then um, we just then went on an absolute tear and won 82 out of our next uh, 82 and 39, including 11-game winning streak. So we just went on a bit, but what was the main bit of it was our was was pitching, really. I mean. It, you just look at the, the rotation that we had. I mean, Seaver, 2.21 ERA, 25 wins. Jerry Kuzman, um, 17 and 9, 2.28. Gary Gentry, 13 wins, 3.43. Don Cardwell, 3.01 ERA, uh, ERA. Jim McAndrew, fifth starter, 3.47. You know, so, and then you've got uh, relievers like Ron Taylor, uh, Tug McGraw, Nolan Ryan. You know, it, it was. And, you know, it was pitching and defense that was the cornerstone of that side. And it was, um, uh, you know, the, the outfield was fantastic defensive-wise. Cleon Jones, Ot Shamsky, Tommy Agee. Uh, Tommy Agee himself, he went, was leading us in 26 homers in that year. Um, Cleon Jones hit 340, went on base of 422. And um, so we got a lot of production out of our outfield that year. And it was... But... It would have been, it, it was an amazing achievement just to get there, to be perfectly honest. I mean, but we then, you know, swept the Braves in three games, and uh, despite Hank Aaron's best efforts, uh, he got three homers in that game. Uh, but what people sort of forget is that we were up against one of the greatest, certainly post-war, American League sides that's ever been, ever been put together, and that was the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, anyone who knows a little bit about... Um, uh, baseball history, certainly around that sort of time, knows that it was an incredible side that they had. Yeah, uh, but the two Robinsons, a, uh, uh, Frank and Brooks at the time. Yeah, Frank is, and also Frank Robinson it has that distinction of being, I think, the only player to have got an MVP in both both uh, in the American League and the, and the National League. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, I think he was the first black manager as well, um, Frank Robinson, if, Brooks, I mean, I said there's Brooks Robinson, who's he's probably the only one who you could possibly stop your guy Mike Schmidt being the greatest third baseman ever. Yeah. You know, but they also had, yeah, and they also had Boot Powell, who was a big, um, who I think is the guy who the broadcaster Boot Shambi is sort of nicknamed after. Um, I believe I might be completely wrong with that, but it was um, you know big bloke and huge power. But they also had a future Mets manager. Uh, Baltimore on that side, Davy Johnson. Oh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah, so they had a really good side. And people actually forget that it was actually, that was the first year of of the postseason being more than one series. So it was the, so the first, it was the very first um, league championship series. Um, so they were an incredible side. And also if you look at the, uh, the, the rotation that they had, they dominated that era. Mike Cuellar, Dave McNally, Jim Palmer, um, I mean, uh, Brooks Robinson said that was the best. That '69 team, he said specifically, was the best team that he played on, and that and, and they had won World Series prior and after that. You know, so it was um, we were up against a really, really good team, and it didn't start well. You know, the bottom of the first in the first game, Don Buford 
hits a, a lead-off homer, and then he says, says to one of our infielders as he walks around the uh, the bases, saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. So he's basically him saying, you know, if he can hit home run off our best pitcher, Seaver, then, you know, Boot Powell, uh, the Robinsons, etc., are going to have no trouble. And we lost 4-1. We had a few chances in that game to um, sort of get the game a bit closer, but we didn't, uh, so we lost. But after the game, we were still, you know, really optimistic. I think, I think, I think we always thought, you know, we can do this. You know, we, they are not that much better than us. And then uh, Jerry Kuzman then pitched the longest no-hit bid um, since the perfect game by um, by the Yankee in the mid mid fifties. Yeah, Don Larson. Yeah. And he went six innings, I think, without a hit. And um, but we were still only one nil up. So that his, um, so I think there was a couple of hits in the seventh, which leveled the game. And he actually, uh, uh, or something like that. It's one. We weren't that far ahead anyway, and, and we won the game because uh, uh, we. Uh, Kuzman went into the ninth. We gave up two two out walks, and then Ron Taylor got Brooks Robinson to win the game. Uh, so it was, and then things, crazy stuff started happening. Uh, game three, we were 4 0 up in the seventh, but the Orioles had the bases loaded, two out, and Tommy Agee made a, he- a brilliant diving catch uh, to keep the score, you know, 4 0. And also, that take one is notable for Nolan Ryan getting a two and a third inning save uh, <laughs> in the World Series. Um, it's obviously. They didn't know it then, but that um, that that has got to be one of the uh, better saves of <laughs> um, in World Series history. That's for maybe not Mad Bomb five innings, whatever it was, but uh, it's Mad Bomb must have got pretty... the win. I'm saying Mad Bomb must have got the win in that game. I know the game seven you're talking about. He 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 came in in like the fourth inning. He must have got the win. No, he didn't. No, it was someone else. Really, because as far as I know, I know this is nothing to do with the Mets, but as far as I'm aware, um, if you don't go to the fifth inning, uh, you can't get the win. And I'm sure he came in in the fourth or the fifth in that game. And who was he? Had like a 14 or a 16 out save or some nonsense like that. He was the third pitcher, and um, he was um, in that one. I think one came in for like literally not even two outs, I think, and then the right. maybe one or two outs. Yeah, and then game four was a bit of a humdinger. Um, uh, Siva pitched all ten. Um, I mean, we we led. Uh, I think there was only three runs in the whole game, and we led very early, one uh, nil, um, until the top of the ninth. Uh, but then again, it was our, our defense that really did it again. That was it. I mean, uh, Tug McGraw said years later that what summed us up in that World Series was pitching in defense, and it was. Um, and then we could have lost the game in that ninth inning. Um, and it could have been, you know, two-two, and then the series is all to play for. But instead, like um, Robinson, hit a sinking line, and you think it's going to be, you know, all the world is going to be extra bases. You know, the guy from first is going to score, and it's going to be two on Orioles, and it's going to be a tough loss for the Mets and an undeserved defeat for Seaver. But Ron Svoboda um, laid out an unbelievable diving catch. And, uh, you know, after we're done with Jody, if you've not seen it, just search Ron Swoboda on, on YouTube, and I'm sure that's the first thing that will come up. It's one of the most amazing clutch catches you'll ever see. I'm going to do and, it. Right um, 
and it was uh, yeah and it was um uh, yeah so and but obviously someone tagged up and scored but again it was still just a sack fly and um so it it went into the uh the tenth. uh we are a lead off double and see the spot was up uh and then he, so he was pinch hit for a bunt was laid down um obviously the throw hit um the runner and it scooted into the outfield and scored so we um uh we scooted down the first baseline and we won the game on that uh but we kind of we won it on a little bit of luck on that one because from what people say um pretty much everyone says these days is that he didn't run the line i think he ran in, um what would he call it inside the line a little bit and hindered the line of the throw so yeah. there was no chance there was no way the first baseman was gonna um was gonna catch it and just scoot it off and we we got a bit of luck the umpires called it fair um uh, and then again and in the fifth game uh it was the first time we were kind of like under pressure really since the first game i mean properly under pressure because they were in the lead they jumped out to a three nil lead early um which is actually due to a uh, two run homer by the pitcher Dave McNally and um, and then it started in a sixth really with a bit of luck because we got a hit by a pitch that was initially said to have bounced and then our manager Gil Hodges showed the ball it, the ball basically scooted off into the um, the Mets dugout we picked up a ball most probably not the ball <laughs> have a have a bit of boot polish on it showed it to the umpire and that was enough to say, yeah, he's been hit, and we'll oh, and he gets the first base. That <laughs> and, was um, wonderful shit house, he like. That was marvelous, isn't it? Uh, and then Clendon and Jones hit a two-run homer. Uh, a bit of stat actually for you because this this series was a five-game series, and um, Clendon and Jones then hit hit that with that two-run homer. He hit his third of the series, which is a joint World Series record with with Ryan Howard. And Steve Pierce for a five-game series. And he was, um, yeah, and it was, uh, and then into the seventh, uh, Al Weiss hit a, um, only hit seven homers all year, hit a, hit a, uh, hit a solo shot, and that tied it up. And then we scored two in the eighth. Um, and then, I, weirdly, ironically enough, the last out of the World Series was Davy Johnson. There you go. <laughs> you know? There you go. Yeah, I mean, but I said it was. I haven't seen the lines of the other World Series, but I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, it was the, the Orioles against us was a little bit akin to the Indians in the mid '90s against the Braves' famed rotation. Yeah. In that, like they were absolute bludgeon house offense, but they just didn't do anything. I mean, they only had 23 hits in five games against us with a 146220 2.10 line. That's insane. Nine runs. Nine runs scored in 46 innings, and four of them came in the first innings of game one. <laughs> in the first game one. So, um, um, and a 1-3-4 batting average, 17 for 127 over the next four games. And he says, uh, Don Buford went two for four in the opening game, went 0 for 16 over his next four games. Paul Blair, two for 20. David Johnson, one for 16. Frank Robinson, three for 16. Brooks for Robinson. One for 19, and Mott Ballanger three for 15. They only managed four extra base hits off us in the entire five-game series, all in the first and last game. 
But there's a bitterness from the Orioles about it, really, because years and years later, uh, Paul Blair got interviewed, and he said, like, um, you know, the things that happened in this series and that, and he says, like, sometimes the best best team doesn't win. And he says, okay, I can understand the, a, the best team can maybe lose 4-3, you know, because, you know, it's who turns up on the day. You cannot say the best team lost when you lost 4-1. Yeah. And it was... I mean, yeah, we didn't score a hat full of runs either, but we were a better team than you. <laughs> you know, so it was... They were... You know, there's a bit of a bitterness, really, because that was a really great side. Uh, but, you know, suck it up, lads. We beat you. We deserve to beat you. And it, it's it's one of the greatest stories, I think. In, I mean, I know I'm biased, but I think it's got to be one of the greatest, alongside the Miracle Braves in the... Uh, around the time of the First World War, it, it's it's one of the most craziest stories, um, not just in baseball history. I think like it's arguably one of the weirdest stories in in all of sports history. Because if you asked any team, any any baseball fan in the mid '60s, and they asked them what's going to happen first, if you know the Mets win the World Series or um, man landing on the moon. They would have told you that man will land on Mars before they lands on the moon. Before the the Mets win the World Series, because it was that improbable. We were, I think we were something like a hundred to one or something like that that started the 1969 series, and it was a, a, a season. And it was, uh, you know, it's one of those incredible sporting stories. I think, and it's you know something we are. The 1986 team was probably better overall because we had Strawberry and. Uh, Gooden and Darling, um, you, you know, uh, Lenny Dykstra, you know, we had a, probably a man-for-man much better side, certainly offensively. Um, maybe pitching-wise, the, the 69 side was probably better. But it, the 1969, I mean, they said it's our 50th year this year and we're doing some all sorts of celebrations to celebrate it. And I, um, yeah, it, it's something that's, you know, Mets fans are very, very proud of, and it's 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 going to be something that's been talk, going to be talked about in a hundred years. You know, it's fifty years since it, and twenty sixty nine, and in twenty one nineteen, people are still going to be talking about it. And it's uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's something that brings a smile to every Mets fan's face just thinking about it. Cause it was a uh, something something just magnificent. Yeah, I think I think a few things that stand out to me is obviously before that season, the Mets were never above five hundred after like the middle of May until um, that season in their history. Um, they were ten games behind the Cubs in mid-August and came back to win the division by eight, and I, I like an amazing turnaround in a month and a half. And perhaps, funnily enough, when you look back, the only World Series ring Nolan Ryan won. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the history is littered with those sort of um, uh, players that have, who have never won the World Series. Um, I think I can't remember who it was because I said they w- he would have played on the Cubs in '69. Oh, I'm really annoyed now. I can't remember his name, but he was a big home run hitter for the Cubs in the '60s, and um, and he uh, said he used to wake up in the night about you know nightmares of never winning the World Series and. You know, it's it bothers some people, I think, but it, it's. Um, but I do think, like, I mean, people just just getting to the World Series for us was great, but it wasn't just some, you know, rubbish. Not rubbish things. You're not going to be rubbish if you reach, reach the World Series, but 
this was, again, I mean, definitely one of the greatest American League teams. Certainly, I mean, in the last 60 years, there are not many better, certainly in the American League, than this Baltimore side, maybe the Yankee side of the late 90s. But in terms of consistency, this Baltimore side was was an absolute juggernaut. And I think they only won a couple in about six years, and they could have easily won four or five, and that's just because they came across... Think, I think that after they lost the Woods, I think they won the next year, but then they lost to basically Roberto Clemente on his own. And it was a, um, an absolute juggernaut of uh, a team. And I think, like, they are still Quayle, McNally, and Palmer, I think. But they're still the last rotation or three guys to have, um, to have three 20 game winners on the same side. And it was those three. And I mean, that's never going to happen again. You know, this is what we were up against. I mean, it didn't happen that season. I think it happened like the season or two after. But it, it was um, a magnificent side we beat. That thing, to me, that is the thing that I'm most proud of, uh, to be honest with that, because it's it was an incredible side that we beat. And yeah, maybe man for man, they were a better team than us. But, you know, over five games, it can't be argued, we were a better team because we are the best pitching and... And in those days, pitching especially ruled the roosts in the World Series. It's funny to look back and think that like there are there are very few stories like that. A team who was never above five hundred to then win a hundred games and win a World Series. And I think, yeah, with this year, year being the fiftieth anniversary, um it's important to remember that stories like that don't happen very often. I mean, even when you think about like um uh, from like our lifetime of being sports fans, you, you, there's 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 some crazy ones, but the Mets winning the 1969 World Series has to go down as one of the the the, the top storylines in baseball history, to be honest. And it stands the test of time, 50 years later, to have a nice wee look back. So um, I won't lie, Thomas, as a Phillies fan, I never like to hear good things about the Mets, but there's something about that 69 story that I just think is absolutely amazing. So. Uh, Thank you for doing the research and looking back on uh, a, a really great time in uh, the history of our sport. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. I think next week we should tackle the Marlins. I think we should uh, talk about, um, we can kind of talk about, a gen- like, not a generation, but like we can kind of talk about the formation of the franchise all the way through 97, then the collapse, and then 2003 um, when they win it again out of nowhere. I think that might be a fun topic to talk about next week. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to that because it's, it's a strange history the Marlins, isn't it? I mean, it's... Uh, Never won a division I mean, but won two World Series and they've only ever made the playoffs twice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're um, they're younger than I am so it's... <laughs> um, um, you know, they've won two World Series. You know, I mean, uh, I think they uh, they probably actually took our record actually. Um of being the quickest expansion team to win the World Series because it seven years. The Diamondbacks yeah. beat it, and then the Diamondbacks beat it by a year in 2001. Yeah. The Marlins were in year five, and then the Diamondbacks did it in year four. So just stunning, to be honest. Um, the Diamondbacks one is an amazing story in itself, which it was actually the first World Series I ever watched, and it was incredible. But yeah, it was it was it was good to get a look back at baseball history right there. Um, we will be back on Thursday or Friday to talk about what's been happening in 2019, and then, like I say, we will come back uh, next week to talk about the 
early years of the Florida Marlins, where they largely fielded terrible teams and won two World Series. So baseball is sometimes weird. Thomas, thank you very much for joining me again. No problem, Jerry. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about um, 69 Mets as the season goes on, to be honest, when certain things are marked. But uh, we will talk to you guys again sometime soon.